This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them, whether it's for lunch, nice weather, you can sit outside on the deck, or maybe sit in the dining room, delicious food. Then they also have a great full bar, large dining area, and you're going to love the lounge. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. People rave about their delicious, consistent, great food and also the great staff. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. So it's primary day, CD1. Who's going to emerge? Who's going to emerge? You have two Republicans vying, want to move into the general election. And then obviously you have all the Democrats. And then who's the Democrat that will emerge out of the Democrat field? Will it be Representative Stephen Casey? Possible. Will it be Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos? She's certainly been wounded in this campaign with the signature scandal. A lot of people feel she's fallen. She might even come in fourth. Uh, will it be ultra-progressive uh, Aaron Ruggenberg? I, I'm not buying this Sandra Keno, the state senator of Pawtucket. I know some people have started to mention her. Um, she does have support from some of her Democrat uh, Senate uh, colleagues, but I'm not convinced of that. And then the big one is this Gabe Ammo, who has come on very strong, seems to be a little more of a moderate-type uh, Democrat, more like a Biden-type Democrat. He's come on very, very strong. But, folks, something that I think is, is, is very unfair is, and it remains, this business of the ballots, the mail. They call them mail ballots. It's not, they're not mail ballots. They're drop, drop box ballots. All these, lack of a better word, mail ballot uh, applications that have gone out, even unsolicited ones. What's so difficult, how is this, I like to ask that, how is this democracy? All these people that talk about what's good for democracy, and democracy is everyone's going to be able to vote, and it should be so easy to vote. And how, how is this democracy? You can't, because of the mail ballots, I have found it's, it's impossible to be able to really tell who's leading and who might pull it out. Because you go back to, it was less than a year ago. When on election day last November 2022, Republican Aaron Gukian won day of voting. He won. He should be the lieutenant governor. But oh, Sabina Matos, the ballot harvesting from special interest, put her over the top. So she beat him in Congressional District 2. Alan Fung won day of voting by exactly the polling was right on the money. He won four percentage points over Seth Magaziner, but he won day of voting. But then mail ballots, Magaziner had 14,000, Fung had 4,000, so Magaziner goes to Congress. And then I think also another classic example was just one year ago, last September, when in the Democrat primary, Helena Folks won, she beat Dan McKee day of voting. The only reason McKee moved on to the general election against Ashley Kalis is because the only reason is because he beat her because the unions went out and collected 3,000 more mail ballots than she had. Folks, that's not democracy. And the biggest joke is now the drop boxes. You can pull up to one of those drop boxes tonight at 7.45 and dump in 500 ballots at a, at a ballot drop box and it all counts and it counts right in real time what what is that what is that but i'm not saying you know some people say voting shouldn't be hard but it's important and it should all be done under the guise of if you don't have fair elections you don't have anything which is one of the reasons why and i've said about this in the past i've been so critical of especially Senate Minority Leader Jessica De La Cruz had a, had a golden opportunity on Channel 12 just a couple of weeks ago and instead whiffed and said, no, I have total faith in our system. That That is a joke. Either I, I don't know what to make of that statement other than it is someone who's ill-informed. And I know it, that seems rough, but you, you just you can't get a better opportunity than they've had 
right now. Right now, which is people are paying attention and seeing with the fake signatures and dead people signing papers. Who's to stop them from people voting twice? Who's to stop them from more fraud on Election Day? So my hope is that that this will something will erupt out of this regarding the mail these quote mail ballots and blow up the system because unlike the senate minority leader i have no faith in our system right now for sure listening to the john DePietro show aj drywall plaster home improvement call them today for a free quote you can also find them on facebook 401 323 AJ Drywall Plasters Home Improvement Frame to Finish Basements What a difference it'll make in your basement Acoustic Ceilings Look how beautiful your ceiling could be New Homes Additions Also Commercial Rehabs Painting Remodeling Contact them today It's a family run business AJ Drywall Plaster Home Improvements Call for a free quote. What a difference they'll make in your home, your ceilings, floors, basements. 401-323-9252. What a difference. Beautiful walls and ceilings. 401-323-9252. You can also find them on Facebook. It's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. And you can always listen online at the website, petro.com. Remember, when you're on the website, petro.com, we have uh, all different types of unique, original stories and videos. It's a happening. Check it out, folks, uh, at the website, petro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us right now, he is the managing editor at anchorising.com. It is Justin Katz and uh, Justin as we are speaking, this is it. This is uh, the big day. It is primary day for that big CD1 seat. Um, I want to just start off and get some of your thoughts on. Uh, I, if you have a feel for the race, I, I just come back to. I I think um, the front runner is Aaron Regenberg, and I I believe only because of the ballot harvesting capabilities that I still say Matos is somehow in the mix, even though I think her day of voting has fallen and she has fallen. But I think when you have that, they've demonstrated they do have the ability. So I'd like to just start off and um, get your thoughts a little bit on just how you see the race now that we've arrived here at uh, primary day. Well, I I agree that Aaron Regenberg is is the front runner and that can be, largely seen, I think, in, or viscerally seen in, in the fact that in, in more recent debates, Matos has been kind of left alone on her on her election, on her vote fraud. Uh, so I think the, the candidates know Regenberg's the front runner. But as you point out, um, she she has the backing of, I think, the largest labor unions anyway, and the sort of the inside track. And she's also riding on some of McKee's promises, I'm sure. And so that's that's a, a big wild card if they can do the ballot harvesting and just get her over the line despite the fact that it appears that she's sunk to third place or so um that might even inspire some some reform from from the left as well as as the right on the, on the mail ballots and that sort of thing i i'm not sure but that that's one avenue that could could go um but i think i think she part of the problem is she's falling and fallen at the same time uh legislator uh senator kano has has been increasing her profile and getting a lot of relatively high profile endorsements. And so those two are competing for the same votes uh, against, against Regenberg, who, who has that strong kind of Washington connection, national connection, as well as, you know, the, the sort of establishment progressive support. What do you make of uh, Justin Katz in the, especially in the channel 10 debate um, race really came into the forefront. And this, this whole argument that we've been hearing in, and you had and, and they were attacking him, saying, you know, here it is, just another white male. And this this whole notion, um, it's really just on the Democrat side that it is finally time. And you, you saw Sandra Cano, that Anna Quinata or Cazada, I think she's the state senator, really going after Rogenberg and saying 
that because there were two progressive women that he uh, he initially said he wasn't going to run because he thought maybe they would run them. They didn't run. He decided to run. I don't, I don't know if there was ever anything really going to keep him out of the race. But what about the identity politics that really came into the forefront and, um, you know, the white man in this diverse field of candidates? Well, I, I think the the underlying reality for that is, for the most part, these candidates are all interchangeable. <laughs> they, yep. they are, you can you the the left in Rhode Island will be happy with any one of them. Their beliefs are not substantively different from one another, and so the only differentiating factor is the superficial stuff like the color of your skin. And I know they'd object to that characterization, but that's the one I'm making. Uh, the, that's the sort of superficial stuff. The and then also the kind of inside factions, like you're the you're with this faction, you're on the Bernie Sanders faction. Those two things become very important when there's really no difference between people. And I, th- I think that's what we're seeing is there. Democrats in Rhode Island are able to produce a large number of candidates who all agree with everything. In part, that's a kind of a Democrat thing. I mean, even nationally, locally, there is not a whole lot of difference between them. I mean, the, the progressives in Rhode Island, Sam Bell, maybe lead among them, love to badmouth the conservative Democrats in Rhode Island. But it's it's just nonsense. It's just positioning of the, the communists, basically. So I think that that's why you get that stuff and it's i don't know i i don't know if other people get the same i don't think many people are paying attention because there's there's really no substantive choice here between them uh but i but i i i just hope people see that kind of talk and are kind of at least find it icky i don't know i just it it really it bothers me to see you know having grown up you know in, in the 80s and 90s and that you're, we were still talking about the colorblind society and race doesn't matter and, and i remember uh for for my blog, I was attending the Democrat uh, Party when when Barack Obama won, and even even disagreeing with him and them on just about everything, there was a moment of feeling like, wow, we've overcome something, you know, and it just feels like we've slid back so far. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the, if you accept their premises, the progressives have a point. I think it was Stephanie uh, Butte Bote. I don't know how she pronounces it, but sure. she came out swinging, saying, you know. Regenberg is taking, quote, the struggle of the poor and working class to say, look how I've helped you. And yeah, white savior. <laughs> that's that's kind of the story of a, a lot of these progressives. And we've discussed this before. It's they're they're here to save you. Uh, just just uh, elect that, you know, wealthy Ivy League graduate white man and he'll he'll get you what you need for uh, people, poor people. And I think that that also they they have a point from their perspective but i think it ought to indicate to people how how kind of superficial the whole thing is and by I the way i've never gotten done. one of them i've never gotten one of them to even respond to me about yeah. their thoughts about a minority republican a black woman minority uh, republican would you support that person versus aaron regenberg no they wouldn't because it's all a game it's after they've checked all their boxes for power yep. and control they care about race yeah, I've also seen, um, you know, you've made a good point. If we're really talking about diversity, then then that's the argument to send a Republican there, because otherwise you have three de- three Democrats. They, they don't respond to that at all. Uh, Mike Rea, that worked for Governor Raimondo, he did an op-ed piece where he went, kind of went after the local media, saying that there should have been a way to come up with public polling on this uh, CD1 race. Now, in the past... Channel 12 and Joe Fleming, they would do polls. I, I don't know why they didn't on this one, uh, other than, you know, it is expensive, and you could almost see some someone in a top office somewhere. This this wasn't planned in, so it's not budgeted. So it's not as if, okay, for 2024, we have a, a line item budget for this. And Brown University, you know, Daryl West used to do polls all the time. What, what do you make of that, though, um, Justin? Do you think that's fear that he was almost – lamenting that you know almost like all the media should have pulled resources to to do a poll on on this race yeah i think that's you know there's there's a very there's a bubble in rhode island of these people who pay lots and lots of attention and you know honestly we're we're in it to to a large extent uh but the or at least an accompanying bubble but they the reality is, I don't think there's a lot of interest in this as i said there's i mean we'll see how many people actually vote might be a good number people like to go out and vote but uh honestly like we like i said they're, they're all the same whoever wins the primary wins the seat there there's no real policy difference among them there's no substantive controversy there was some we got some controversy with um 
Matos's uh, signature collection of fraud, her campaign's fraud. But the the I, that's about it. Once once you get over that hump and they've decided the the other candidates decided they want don't want to talk about it, then what is there? I mean, what's the point of polling? And so you can't go through the expense of putting together polls for an audience of a few hundred people who actually pay that much attention in Rhode Island. And I think that's the reality. If you want, if you want, just like they say with competitive, oh, needing competitive I, campaign, go ahead. Sorry. I want to just jump in for a moment, Justin, because the larger point to me is this shows Mike Rea views all the media as almost as all the same, as if they should be all working. To, they, they He doesn't even identify that's, I think it's insightful to how he views them as they're all the same. So they might as well all just contribute. Whereas Channel 10, Channel 12, their competitors, the Journal, Boston Globe, their competitors. So, but from his eyes, it's almost like you guys are all the same. So you should all just kind of work together. The other thing, when you're talking about super PACs and, you know, Matos has had 800,000 to 1 million in PAC money come her way and spent. Um, I also notice he doesn't say, you could easily the Democrat Party could have done a poll on their candidates and then released it to the media. I, I I'm not fully on board that there's no difference between all of them because I think there is a difference and we're about to, you know, find out. Um I wouldn't lump everybody all in the same. I mean, there's definitely some difference and on the Republican side, I mean there's some difference. But um but I think it's more insightful of how Mike Rea, who we both know as a player, and just how he kind of views the local media. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. AdMed Urgent Care. Walk-in urgent care center. All your medical needs. They're open seven days a week. Doctors and nurses. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. 5750 Post Road east greenwich right across from felicia's again they're open seven days a week at med urgent care when you need urgent care without the wait now when i've been in that situation and i needed urgent care that's where i went if you want to go to emergency room and have a long wait well you're free to do that otherwise do what i did go to at med urgent care whether it's work related maybe someone's not feeling well someone needs stitches whatever it may be at med urgent care comprehensive outpatient urgent care facility there's two locations one near you johnston right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich that's right across from felicia's when you need and i need urgent care you want at med urgent care again two locations 1524 atwood avenue and johnston in the atwood medical center and 5750 post road east greenwich Seven days a week, doctors and nurses at Med Urgent Care. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorrising.com. Justin, what about the fact, any thought on that the Boston Globe did not offer? Listen, it's still a congressional seat. So I I also disagree that it's whatever. It's not that important that people aren't paying attention. It's still a congressional seat. We have two of them. Uh, but any thoughts on the Boston Globe did not do a, uh, a an endorsement in this race? Well, I, first of all, I I agree it's it's important, but there's no lack of there's no real competition. I mean, I, when people talk about Rhode Island not getting attention during national campaigns, well, a large part of that isn't our size. It's that it's it's kind of a foregone conclusion. And so, you know, I I think that the, the the Boston Globe was kind of admirable. The editorial page was kind of admirably honest about it. They were focusing on the Boston City Council race, I think. Sure. And they, they didn't have. They say they didn't have time, and you know they're they're professionals. They they have to schedule and prioritize, and so they have to ask themselves this question: How many of our readers? actually care and how easy is it for us to find a story and so yeah i'm sure i'm sure there are nuanced differences between the candidates if you really dig into their platforms and who they'll represent and how they run what factions they're in that's that's significant you know in a, in a practical way but on large issues that get people to pay attention there's not that much to dig into for i don't think in my view for 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 an editorial board so i i kind of understand it and i to some extent it's you know rhode island loves to loves to 
feel like it punches above its weight, so to speak. We, we love when we get any kind of attention nationally. And I think that it's kind of a, a reflection of the fact that, you know, for the Boston Globe, our, our congressional seat, it's going to a Democrat, it's going to a progressive Democrat. They're all going to vote in lockstep with the Democrats. We know that there's no, so, I mean, honestly, it's, it's important, but to quote Hillary Clinton, what difference does it make? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's all going to be the same. And so, okay, well, they didn't offer an endorsement on the Republican side. And I, I'm going to, again, just disagree that I, I think there is a difference. Uh, Gabe Ammo, his background, he is a person of color. Uh, it would be significant. He is different than it. And Ruggenberg is, is in a, a, a class of himself. He is the far, far left. Stephen Casey is not uh, a progressive Democrat. I like the dynamics. I, I think that the two front runners, they were not going to back Matos because, because of the signature scandal. And they, they just can't back Aaron Ruggenberg because he's so far left. So I saw it more like that. I would have been curious if they had actually backed Gabe Ammo, who seems to be more of a, a Biden, Obama type of moderate type Democrat. Uh, I was actually surprised that he didn't get the endorsement. I, I would think that they were lobbying pretty hard because I think that would have been more in step with 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 the globe. But I, I would also, Justin, where you and I disagree is, See, to say that Bernie Sanders is the same as every other Democrat in in Senate, I I don't believe that. To say that AOC is the same as every other Democrat in Congress with the squad, I I don't. This is Ruggenberg winning would be, you know, he could be the first male member of the squad. He's far, far left. I also think there's so many politics involved with what this does with McKee. The fact that Ruggenberg is definitely not on a favorite list of uh, Senator Whitehouse and, and, and also uh, Senator Jack Reed. And if anything, it's, it's very evident of just how much animosity there is between him and Governor McKee. Um, Governor McKee didn't endorse Matos in this race. So I think there's also just a lot of reverberations that could come, come out of it. Um, but what about also, Justin, I sent this to you, the Board of Elections posted Tomorrow at eight o'clock is the deadline to drop off your completed mail ballot. You may drop off your completed mail ballot on one of our secure drop box located. Here's what I don't understand is like, what is the point of that? If, if it comes election day and you still haven't dropped off your mail ballot, I believe it should be then the polls are open. Then you just go vote. Why would these people still be dropping off mail ballots on literally the day of the election? Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. To me, it seems like a like a concession, like an admission that it's it's really about the ballot harvesting. You know, if, if you've picked up somebody's ballot and you want to get it in, that's this is your last chance. I mean, it, this is not. It, it goes to, I mean, to put the best spin on it for them, it goes to this idea, this this notion they have that the absolute most number of votes we can get is the primary objective. And I, I don't think that ought to be the primary objective, but that's that seems to be their perspective. So even if you remove the idea of, of fraud uh, from their motivation, which I'm not ready to do, but if you do, there's still, they have this idea that we, well, uh, voting is too hard. We need to let people just throw this in a mailbox type thing at the end of their corner and and that that's it but uh, you know it, it just seems to me it, it, an invitation to fraud at the least there the rules could be and i think you know a lot of people who aren't quite as as you know i don't want to say extreme as as concerned about this as, as you and i are a lot of people would still feel a lot better if the rules felt rational in that way okay here's your window for mail ballots if you can go vote we still put a priority on that so you you go vote um but it yeah it's you know i'll be surprised if they don't start leaving these mail ballot uh boxes open for another day or two after the election so that but it but it does have that feeling as people watch returns they see what who's showing up and during the day they can start to crank up their harvesting machine and say go get me more votes i mean that's that's really where we're headed with this um i also want to point out for people these uh ballot drop boxes there's a couple purposes they serve number one is if in fact there's a fraudulent vote it at least takes away the element of, of mail fraud which always could come in compared to um, if someone had actually mailed uh, a fake or a fraudulent ballot, number one. Number two, it does save the campaign's money because then uh, they don't have to worry about postage. You're exactly right about, I mean, today at five o'clock or six o'clock, 
there could be some campaign that then goes and they drop off 200 ballots at one of these official ballot drop boxes. I also, Justin, come back. I believe the Republicans at the United States House should do more to object to these and and the ballot harvesting because, you know, you're right. They make such an argument about the disenfranchised. And as you know, it used to be years ago, you had to almost like have a reason why you needed a mail ballot. Maybe you had a you're going to have surgery that day or you're going to be out of town on business. But I mean, at this point, it's ludicrous. I mean, if you're here, um, you might as well go and then just go to the polls. Like, I, I think this is completely wrong. But then, you know, as I said, right up until eight o'clock, someone could go and wait and then find out that they're short and then dump um, a bunch of mail ballots. And and also, Justin, as, as we talk about in those that argue about the disenfranchised and it's not fair and everything else. As we know, I'm curious to see how many votes that businessman that dropped out, Don Carlson, how many he's going to end up getting in this this whole thing. Because those votes are we. And by the way, he's still on the ballot. So those votes are completely disenfranchised, wasted votes. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's something that uh, – people kind of mocked a little bit, some of the progressives and journalists, you know, that the idea of actually I got in a back and forth with the attorney general about that. You know, the, the idea that we would have these voters who could have done their ballot, they're sent in their ballots and then they're completely invalidated. That just, I, it, it shouldn't sit well with anything. And the attorney general Nerona's statement was, well, you know, I haven't heard anybody who actually voted for him complain. Well, you know, that's that's not necessarily how it how it ought to work. And right. I think to, to go back to the um, we all have an we all have a stake in our, our elections and, and it does change things when that can happen. Uh, but to go back to the idea of the ballot boxes opening on, on vote day, I mean, there's there's simply no way you could. If somebody goes, to, if somebody goes to the box and puts the ballot in the box and then walks to the poll station and votes, there's no way you can possibly know that in real time. Now they'll, I'm sure they they'll they'll try to verify this person voted twice and so on, but at the same time, it's you know that why create that confusion? You know, if right. if, if you can ha- if if they're due the day before, two days before, then you. you the Board of Elections has time to say, check the people off and so they can't vote twice. You know, that's there's there's just so much opportunity for, for mischief in this. It's, it's incredible. Finally, just what's your thought on this um, NBC News report where it had the headline had Aaron Ruggerberg on stage with Bernie Sanders. The far left wages an internal fight help Democrats or reject the establishment. It called on the Rhode Island chapter Democrat Socialists, called their members reject Aaron Ruggenberg, uh, backed by. Bernie Sanders and AOC. Well, I, th- I think it shows you the the way the factions are, are cracking up. Uh, you know, once once you get to this point of Rhode Island where where you're talking nuances of far left and, and the color of the candidate's skin, uh, it, it really it really invites this this kind of infighting. And I, I think I I fear we'll we'll be heading that way even more. I mean, it's it's kind of classic leftism, right? There's as soon as you move the middle to toward you, you move farther left, and so I think that's that's kind of what we're seeing. And so Regenberg, he's just too too white, too privileged. So uh, we, they've got to move on, and and he's he doesn't he he didn't completely attack everybody in the the uh, establishment in Rhode Island, and so we've got to be more revolutionary than that. And I think I think that's a lot of what we're seeing there, folks. Quick break. Much more. Also, Justin, before I take a break, any thoughts on the Republican primary for CD one? Um, no, I don't. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts. I think Gary Gary Leonard has presented himself with more of a policy expertise. He's certainly more uh, yeah. seems to be more generally experienced. I honestly, I have a hard time getting excited about either of them, especially given you know the the lack of concern about about the way things are going and vote fraud nationally yeah. as well as locally. And I don't think that the, the lack of appreciation uh, that people need, needed a Republican. I mean, a Republican base needs somebody who's at least going to, at least going to express concern, their concerns with, with the way uh, president Trump has been treated. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, I, I, that to me, it's, it's not a litmus test, but it shows that he, he's just, he's, of that kind he's just not he's not he doesn't feel your anger and he's not going to represent that in any well in any way and i think that's how you get 
you know, politicians are going in there and they're not saying what needs to be said about vote fraud or whatever it might be. And so I, you know, I, I don't think there's any chance the Republicans going to win. So, you know, it's, it's, there's not much, not much to say about the primary. Well, someone's going to win the primary. Someone's going to win <laughs> yeah, the yeah, primary. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I'll leave it at this. I, to me, the current individuals don't understand the significance that the signature scandal with Matos opened up the door to draw attention to the availability of widespread fraud. I also want to remind people the signature scandal, those were then notarized, the sheets of signatures. All of these ballots that are being dropped off into these drop boxes, you know, uh, Justin, the, they, they're unnotarized mail ballots. So I, I, um, I, I mean, I hope this election, the CD1, I hope there's chaos. I hope that people are demanding, uh, you know, accountability with the mail ballots, because it's very clear to me the Republicans in the state are not doing their job, they're not going to do the heavy lift to draw attention to the way the system is right now. The system is ripe for fraud. If, if you and keep in mind, just finally in Newport, they did end up still accepting some of those fraudulent signatures. To me, if you can get past fake dead people, you know, signing other people, their signature put in for just signatures to get on the ballot. And that's with a notarized process. It is the wild, wild west when it comes to unnotarized mail ballots. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, AnchorRising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus. Call them today. Heating and cooling in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, 508-252-3359 for Propane Plus. Three generations you can always depend on Propane Plus for all your heating and cooling. Call them today, 401-885-4209. Three generations, they're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they're going to serve you for a very long time. They have a great user-friendly website. You just log on at propaneplus.com, and then you type in your zip code, residential, commercial, Propane Plus, heating and cooling, always there for you. Give them a call today. In Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. The Johnson family, three generations, heating and cooling. You can always depend on Propane Plus. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, a couple of other uh, stories in the news I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Uh, Channel 12 WPRI has community focus and who did they choose of all the different people to talk about Labor Day, Rhode Island AFL-CIO's Pat Crowley joined Kim Kalunian to talk about Labor Day. Yeah, and my, my, my thought, first thought was, wow, the, the unions absolutely own the local news media at this point. Yeah. I mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago, WPRI almost seemed like the, of the two major TV networks, the, the kind of the upstart. And but nope, there there he was. I mean, it just and and, and not even. I mean, well, there were, there were basically two two core objections I have, but making it as if he is like the spokesman for a national holiday about all of labor. I, and I, I I object to that. What is the meaning of Labor Day? Let me ask one of the the most powerful members of a, the most powerful special interest in the state. I think it just that that felt that felt off, and also just the kind of the the softballs you know many people say you're a special interest but what in the way she was reading it kim colonian it almost sounded like she was reading pre questions he had given her what is your response to those who say you're a special interest and just it's amazing to me i mean you're you're talking to a guy who's part of an organization he there's there's no doubt that he is as far left as they come he'll he'll say he's practical i think that's he's in power and he makes you know six figures being being a progressive activist so he's more practical about it than some of these folks who who are just doing it free freelancing but you know he he's basically undermining the american way of life using his using his members money to help fund this i mean this goes for all all public especially those that deal in public sector labor and here it is softball questions oh you're not really a special interest are you i mean it it was really just 
it was like it felt like you know if you sometimes the news has on the community a community forum they'll bring on the local florist or whatever and it, it felt like that level of an interview with one of the most uh influential and detrimentally influential people in the state it was just it just felt so so wrong it was like something out of a movie where there's a totalitarian government and the, the local media is just running propaganda films oh tell me tell me about your walk in the garden this morning mr lennon i mean that kind of thing is it it's just it's it's so disappointing and, and in a way frightening you know it's interesting justin especially his behavior crowley there's no here's a photo of you like flipping people off and disrupting this meeting and and um, I, I mean, there's nothing like that. I, I think also our local media, to me, it's the same thing when they have Bob Walsh on as an education expert on live experiment. By the way, they're still having him on, even though he retired. You're, you're framing them exactly the light that they want, where he's, you know, reasonable. This isn't someone reasonable. He was also, I believe, Crowley mixed up with the Doug Jablinski you know, situation that that led to court. I think, Justin, you can make the argument that right now, the way they're going after President Trump with the RICO charges in Georgia, if there was ever an organization where they could clearly bring in the RICO statute, it'd be the activities of the local AFL-CIO, where you have the, you know, upper echelon types that then they have the chain of command, and they instruct them with their their actions that certainly, you know, they, they've broken the law in the past. They had no problem in doing that um like of all the different people that that you could choose it is interesting that they chose him i'm also just curious to hear your thoughts so governor mckee's all excited about this but they come out with the new campaign for tourism and for those that haven't seen it it's they were sending this out to different airports is a stuffy and then it has it's on a plate and it has hashtag visit rhode island with a lime and then to the left of it is hot sauce. So I, just any, you know, a lot of people were mentioning cooler and warmer. But Justin, any thoughts on that they feel that this image of this stuffy um, in the Visit Rhode Island, that that what, what are your thoughts on this latest marketing effort by the state? I have, I have no idea. You know, uh, you can only speculate how that happens. I mean, yeah. your mind in Rhode Island, especially your mind immediately goes to like somebody at, at Commerce had a cousin or a friend who makes these things and said, "Hey, we can give you a few thousand bucks if you want to make a bunch of them." I, I mean, that that that's the first thought, and then the other thought is that you, you've got a bunch of people with not dealing with their own money, dealing with some taxpayers' money and other people's money. Uh, sitting around saying what could we promote what do rhode islanders like what represents rhode island you know like a bunch of kids and a bunch of lifetime bureaucrats or something to that effect uh it's just it blows my it blows my mind you know having worked in, in branding to some extent first of all i don't know of all the of all the images you've got one shot to put something in an airport that that speaks to your state and it's a it's a stuffed clam and second of all as as imagery I mean, the hot sauce doesn't really fit. I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't, it doesn't feel very Rhode Island at all. But some, well, a lot of people do, but I mean, that's more like an oyster thing, I thought. But anyway, but it, it feels, hot sauce is Southern. You know, it just doesn't feel, feel Rhode Island. But not only that, but, but if you don't know what a stuffed quahog is, and you'd probably have to explain to most people around the world what you mean by quahog, uh, they, it's, it's really looks like a, a blob of brown goo. I mean, it's not it's not an appealing thing if, if you're not if you don't already have an experience with them, you know. And so, just the I I don't know how this stuff. And to me, those all those kinds of decisions are go right back to our expectation that government can somehow take other people's money and do well with it. I it just I don't think I I don't think it's representative at all. I hope I hope they didn't pay much for these things. I mean, I could almost see putting them around the state because Rhode Islanders know what cohogs are. You know, not but I mean, you're not advertising people in the state, but at, at airports around the country, it's just visit Rhode Island for a, a piece of brown goo and some hot sauce. It just I I don't know. It's a it's a big marketing failure on from my point of view, and I I w I, I didn't dig into it enough, but I I wish the news media were really. How much did you pay for that? What yeah. are the connections to the artist? I mean, that there's something there. there there's, to me, it's such an obvious flub <clears throat> that even worse than cooler and warmer, frankly. It is, yeah. And, and it also, to me, Justin, it's really simple. Listen, the state has shoreline. And June, July, and August, you want to appeal to people 
instead of going to Martha's Vineyard, instead of going to the Jersey Shore, uh, instead of going to the Cape, take your vacation in Rhode Island and enjoy Newport and Narragansett and, and Westville. That, that's, it's as simple as that. To me, it begins and ends with you want to highlight the shoreline, the beach, and that let people and, – and if every year you can get people from the Jersey Shore or people go out to the Hamptons or people go to the Cape or the Vineyard and get them instead to come rent a beach house and spend a week in Narragansett and Newport – you, you've succeeded in your mission. It begins and ends with that. This business of something that, I don't know what that is, um, you know, how Governor McKee thought it was a great idea, but he did. Now, Justin, there's two other stories that I do want to touch on and just get your thought. Um, Wall Street Journal poll, 73% of voters say they feel Biden is too old to seek a second term, compared with 47% who say the same of 77-year-old Trump. Two-thirds of Democrats said Biden was too old to run again. Uh, I think this is really significant because to me, the danger, if you want to use that word of the poll for the Biden people, is this isn't the economy. This isn't a regular metrics that maybe you could get, you know, the jobless rate improved. You could get the economy to improve when you have 73 percent of voters feel he's too old. And that's right now, September 2023. That number's not going to go down (laughs) in the next six to nine months or a year from now. So I'm just curious, and and I don't recall a time that the age issue, to me, is actually the determining factor. It doesn't even matter if people agree with his policies. They they simply feel he's too old for the job. Yeah, and well, a few thoughts on this. First of all, of the options, of the things you could say about Joe Biden, that he's too old, and he's falling apart mentally is actually the nicer thing you could say about yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. the, the, that leaves him more credibility than the fact that he, he appears to have been engaging in a lifetime of corruption. Um, so that that's one. And I think the comparison here is interesting too, because uh, fewer than fifty percent. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of both sidesism when you're on you know debating people on social media. But f- it was fewer than fifty percent said the same of Donald Trump that he was too old, and he's only a few years younger. And I, I've seen the, the the left trying to say, oh, he's old too, and they find the worst picture they can of him. Um, but I th- I think the the maybe the most significant point is how that number shows the failure of the propagandists in the mainstream media to cover it up and i i know i've i mean he sends out his 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 spokesperson to say oh we have trouble keeping up with him nobody's buying it but yeah. the news media keeps trying to peddle it and make believe this is normal and it, you know i it, it's it's an old trick to say well if he were a republican but honestly if he were a republican there would have been for nine months to a year, maybe from the date he was he was elected, calls across the, the news media, across the sort of the mainstream Washington establishment to say he must resign. He's not competent. This Everything would be amplified. Uh, and I think that's that just goes to show people are but even despite, you know, the that kind of that kind of soft coverage of him. I, you know, I saw the other day that all of the late night news hosts have been teaming up for a podcast or something. And I, I can't help but think that it, it's not a good sign for them that they have to pool their resources to draw an audience. And part of the reason might be because they're not willing to make fun of a guy who can't even walk across a stage who's supposedly the most powerful person in, on the planet. I think that's that message is getting who, through to people. Who's, do, who's doing a podcast? Oh, you, you didn't see this? All of the... I, I don't even know their names, honestly. But all the all the, the the top five you know late night news hosts. Um, Lester Holt. Wait a minute. When you say late no, night uh, news hosts, who who are you talking about? Like the the comedy shows. I'm I'm drawing a blank on all their names. Honestly, I don't pay enough oh, attention to them. Oh, the late uh, but, night talk hosts. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. So Stephen Colbert. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy yep. Kimmel. Yeah, oh, and then well, maybe, um, and then I, I, I doing that because of the writer strike, maybe. But I don't want to uh, get people. Um, lost. I wanted to just quickly just get your thought on. I mean, there, there's a difference. I thought you're talking about, you know, uh, David Muir, Lester. Oh Holt, no, no, no. Hopefully. I'm not talking about that. Um, it, it, finally, just any thought about uh, Gina Raimondo, Commerce Secretary, Meet the Press. I, I think this is the rollout. I think she knows something. I think she's running next year for president, and I think that appearance on Meet the Press with she did push back on Chuck Todd on a couple of things. Um, we, we can talk about it again uh, next week because I'm not going to give you much of a window. But I, I think 
this is the rollout that she is going to be jumping into the 2024 race. And as much as people in our area may dismiss her, um, you know, you got to look at the landscape. Does she feel she can compete with Kamala Harris? Yes. Does she feel she can keep, compete with the governor of California? Yes. Does she feel she can compete with Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar? I think the answer is uh, yes as well. But we'll pick that up next time. Folks, again, he is the managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Our segment is Politics This Week. Justin, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon. Get your driveway paved. J. Perry Paving. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, over 25 years experience, specialized commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating. Call for a free estimate today, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. Hey, learn about the benefits of asphalt paving, whether it's a brand new paving project or a cracked driveway. It's affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Asphalt can be recycled, reused. J. Perry Paving, a licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting your needs. No matter how big, how small, contact them today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. What a difference it makes for your driveway, for your business, parking lot, J, letter J, J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730, online at J perrypaving.com and look for them on Facebook. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Well, it is finally here, primary day. CD1, who emerges in this primary? Let's pick it up. Newsmakers on Channel 12 discussed it. Democratic candidates looking to replace former Congressman David Cicilline today on Newsmakers. Key moments from that debate in some astute analysis, as always. We'll do our best. (laughs) Ted, fellow co-moderator, what was your takeaway from the debate? Well, Aaron Regenberg is clearly, everyone thinks he's the front runner. He was under kind of coordinated assault Mm. for portions of this debate, which, uh, you know, there are ups and downs to that. Obviously, the downs are kind of clear. You're getting attacked. But I think it only strengthened people's sense that, like, all right, he's the man to beat. Yeah, Joe? No question. Uh, This debate showed that everyone else believes that Aaron Regenberg is the front runner of this race, and they feel they have to bring him down some in order to win. The problem is, there's seven or eight other candidates to divide those votes up if you bring Aaron down. So he has a strong block of votes he's holding on to right now. Yeah, right? nobody believes that Aaron Regenberg is getting like 55% no. of the vote next week. Nope. Right. It's just that if, seven, if, you know, 10 right now other people are in the race, Twenty, you said it last week, Tim, 28% in that AMO poll, that's enough for Regenberg to win mm-hmm. if he gets it. So Regenberg came under attack very early on in right. the debate, and it was a question over the debt ceiling. Why don't we take a listen to that section? Final question in this section, and I believe I, I know where everyone stands on this, but for the, again, for the viewers at home, raise your hand if you would have voted for the debt ceiling deal last spring that prevented the country from going into default. Everyone but Mr. Regenberg is a yes on that one. And, and Mr. Regenberg, why don't we talk about this for a second? You, you've been a standout on, on this issue, and I'm curious, would you still have voted no if you were the deciding vote? In other words, if it would have killed the bill? Uh, absolutely. If, if the if the question we received was not how would you vote uh, if you were this, the deciding factor, in that case, obviously you have to vote yes. That wasn't the situation. The situation was that Kevin McCarthy took our economy hostage in order to push through dangerous Republican cuts to critical programs. Hang on. It was an up or down vote, Mr. Regenberg. Yes or no? Would you have voted for the debt ceiling bill? Yes, absolutely. If, it, if you're the deciding factor, absolutely. My position is the same position. Hang on one second. My position is the same position as that of Senator Elizabeth Warren, Ed Markey, John Fetterman, reps like Katie Porter and Barbara Lee, folks in leadership like Rosa DeLauro, and uh, even more moderate reps like Dan Goldman and Adriano Espia. Mr. Amo, you want to weigh in? So Aaron has said that he would vote to take this country into a catastrophic default. That is saying that he knows better than Jack Reed, Sheldon Whitehouse, David Cicilline, and Seth Magaziner. I would have voted to stand with Rhode Islanders, not vote against Rhode Islanders. This is not 
a time to play politics with people's economic outcomes. And for us, we need to think about the people that we represent. And let's think about a SNAP program, Social Security benefits for seniors. That is what it was in the line. He tweeted that we had voted no on the debt ceiling. That's risky. And we have to think about the consequences that we're having as a country for having this fight over the debt ceiling over and over. I'm the other progressive on this stage, but I would be very pragmatic on this issue. This is about putting people first. So ultimately, what was on the line was Social Security, Medicare, and that is just a very irresponsible position for Mr. Regenberg to take. We have people who are one check behind to become uh, lost their home. Then I think that it was very irresponsible for Mr. Aaron to say that he would vote no on We're, that decision. Uh, I'll get to you, Mr. Regenberg. We're going to wrap this up briefly for Mr. Casey and then Mr. Burbrick. Go. Everybody's beat up Mr. Regenberg pretty well on this, but the issue, the issue is that it's completely irresponsible. It's like defaulting on your mortgage, just letting everything go. We, we wouldn't be able to, to do anything here. I, th I think it's completely irresponsible, and it seemed like more of a game. All right, Mr. Burbrick. Yeah, look, I, I mean, it's dangerous, it's irresponsible, but it speaks to Aaron's uh, dishonesty and lack of integrity because he, he said uh, four, four months ago, early on in this, that he would vote against it. Uh, Again, the question that we received from reporters was not how would you vote, as Tim just asked, if you were the deciding vote. In that case, obviously you have to vote yes. That was that debt ceiling section where Aaron Regenberg was under attack from our debate uh, on Tuesday. If you missed any of it, it's on WPRI.com. Obviously, this signals, Ted, to voters that Regenberg is a perceived frontrunner as he came under attack. The question is, did it do any damage or was he able to weather the storm? Well, you know, I leave that to the voters to decide, but certainly his campaign didn't think that went well because they rushed out a statement immediately after the debate to all the reporters who were covering it, trying to restate more cleanly his position, which was, you know, I'd have voted no if it didn't matter <laughs> to yeah. protest things, but I would vote yes if it did matter. And as I, Dan McGowan wrote in The Globe the next morning, you know, for a lot of voters, he's basically, he's basically acknowledging, I wanted to grandstand on this. I didn't want, I knew what a responsible vote was, but if I didn't have to take it, I wanted to protest and leave it to Jack Reed and Sheldon Whitehouse and the others to, to take the yes vote that I, I agree was necessary if if it came down to me deciding. And Joe, like any broadcast event, um, you know, viewership can tend to go down. Right. This was right at the top. Right at the beginning, a key time when you probably had the largest audience. And again, the thing is, he did a sort of a flip-flop there, and that could hurt him. The problem that the uh, other candidates have is there's 10 other candidates. Yeah. So if he lose, say he lost one or two points, they're not going to go to one candidate. They're going to be divided among everybody. So it's going to hurt him some, I think, but probably not drastically. One this small thing I'd add, the only attack ad that I'm aware of as of this morning when we're taping on Friday is on this topic. It, it was in the works before that exchange because I think people have seen that they think that's a, that's an issue you can ding Aaron Regenberg at. And now it only reinforces that ad from that debate. Okay, we're going to take a break here on Newsmakers. When we come back, the power and problems with endorsements. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Again, folks, you're listening to the John DePietro. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them, whether it's for lunch, nice weather, you can sit outside on the deck, or maybe sit in the dining room, delicious food. Then they also have a great full bar, large dining area, and you're going to love the lounge. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. People rave about their delicious, consistent, great food and also the great staff. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Check out topetro.com. We have merchandise, all the shows, video, exclusive stories waiting for you right there at topetro.com. 